So welcome to our continuation of this first step in our spiritual journey. And because spirituality implies a realm transcendent above beyond what our normal experience of reality is fueled by, um, we call the first step in spirituality some kind of coming to know a higher being, a higher power, a creative force in the universe, which the word, the name God has been applied to, we cautious to use that word because it evokes connotations which may be associated with concretized visions of some bearded man in the sky wielding a lightning bolt to zap sinners. And in order to avoid that, we'd rather use the word Hashem, just because it makes it um, hopefully free of those kind of associations. So the Ramchal began with a definition of what is it that we need to think of when we think of um, Hashem. And this is crucial because as we've repeatedly said, in order for a person to believe in something, you can only believe in something you can define. And until you define it, you can't believe in it. So if I say to you, well, do you believe in God? And you say, yes, I do. And so what is that? <laughs> what is that thing that you believe in? And if you can't answer with a very clear and coherent answer, so then it means that you, your belief or your stated belief is not really integrated. It's just something that, it's just a statement that you're saying, but it's actually, it's in a way, a little bit meaningless. The Ramchal defines Hashem in the following way. That from our perspective, there's something that, that, that came before everything else. There's something, a being, that came before everything else. And that being is Kadmoin. That being never had a beginning. and will never have an end. And this is the point of transcendence. This is actually when we move into a realm that we can't comprehend with our minds because we cannot, in the mind of cause and effect, grasp something which had no cause and has an eternity attached to it because in our experience of all the things that we understand have beginnings and ends. Something which had no beginning has no end. Something we cannot fathom. So we have to respectfully step back and acknowledge that there's something that our mind cannot grasp. And not only is this being from always was and always will be, but he's also the generating energy of everything that we can experience. So everything that is around us is a function, is a consequence of the existence of that being. And were he to disappear, the entire world would go poof in a second. And the only reason it's not is because he's present. And now I'm going to go on to the second um, shtickle, second paragraph, unless there are anyone that would like to ask, ask something. So, so obviously what we're going to be struggling with, and I'm going to just take this a little bit further because this chapter speaks about this being. But obviously, the point of struggle may be with, well, how do we interact? How do we conceive? Because when we do speak about our own relationship towards Hashem, these big, vast, expansive ideas seem utterly inaccessible to the human being. And now I'm about to drink some tea, and I'm going to meditate on this tea as a um, as a gift that's been given to me by Hashem, 
And therefore, I'm now engaging in a relationship when I'm speaking to Hashem. I'm interacting in dialogue. How can, how can I dialogue with this, this, this almost, um, inaccessible eternal power? Well, what, what does that dialogue mean? In other words, who am I imagining is listening on the other side? What I imagine that this interaction that we're about to have is all about? How am I feeling that interaction? How is he feeling? But how can he feel? So there's this danger of when you begin the point of interaction that you're going to concretize Hashem and lose this vastness and then fall into a minimalized, reduced definition. The only person that can understand Hashem is Hashem. And therefore, the only thing that we can use in our description of Hashem is that He's complete in every way of completion and there is no lacking in Him whatsoever. Now, He says something which I find extremely, extremely powerful. We know, in other words, how do we know this? Imagine you're born into a world with no guides in the realm of spirituality, which I think probably describes enormous amounts of the world's population in the present day 2021. People are born and they have no spiritual guidance. And you start to speak to them about, well, tell me, what is your vision of the Creator? What is your, do you know of God? Do you believe in God? What level of sophisticated understanding can they develop? And where are they going to draw that from? How are they going to derive that? So we seemingly have a point of access, which has unraveled this mystery. Where did that point of access begin? So says the Ramchal, we have a tradition. It's called a Kabbalah. Kabbalah means tradition, a reception. That goes all the way back to the patriarchal origins of our religion, which happened 4,000 years ago in Urukastim with Abraham, the modern origin of faith for the majority of the world's population. All of the 2.4 billion Christians and 1.4 billion Muslims subscribe to Abraham as their father in faith goes all the way back there, and he brought into the world this notion of a higher being. He introduced the world to the concept of monotheism, and his impact is felt so powerfully until this very day. And after him, we have a chain of great spiritual leaders, from Avram to Yitzchak to Yaakov, to the Twelve Tribes, to the... um Moshe, Moses, Yoshua, all the way through the prophets until we have somehow through a very airtight system of authentic preservation of those ideas carried them so, so far into the present day, which is in itself awe-inspiring. The Sigum Koizhjah now says a very important point. This idea of this being, which is so transcendent, the Sigum Ko Yisrael Sinai. That's what happened at Sinai. 
you want to know what did the Jews experience at Mount Sinai when in a national revelation they experienced a level of prophecy, this is what they experienced. They came front to face to face, a frontal contact whereby they were able to experience the reality of Hashem. So in other words, there was, there was a watershed moment in Jewish history. Because from that moment on, it was maybe Abraham taught over the principles. Isaac. Jacob. But then the Jewish people as a collective experienced it. Which means they transcended the entire construct of thought of understanding of idea, and they went to a higher realm and a higher plane. And at that higher realm and higher plane, there was none of the obstructions that the structure of thought contains, and there was an absolute fusion between their experience and the reality of the Creator with all these fundamental components of His existence. And from that moment onwards, it was no longer theology, it was experience. How, how could it be? He like is in a different plane of existence and one of the principles we can't understand. Right. Saying they understood. In other words, means that the Jewish people in a certain way left the realm of mortal beings and ascended to a level which is, which in our experience of life isn't automatically accessible. It's a complete and total departure. Is from it even accessible? Now that's a question that I would like to explore. In other words, it could very well be, it could very well be that we may not be able to revisit Sinai as a collective but maybe as an individual we can approximate that experience. In other words, maybe we can access the this incomprehensible spiritual enlightenment even as we are as mortal beings. And what kind of things, what kind of methods, what kind of meditations, what kind of practices would we need to evoke that? But in other, in other words, there is an idea of altered states of consciousness. We can get into states of consciousness where, for example, even normal people in normal lifestyles can, for a moment, transcend time. We do it almost every night when we dream. And in the space of one second, you can have a dream that if you actually played it out, may take minutes or hours. But in that altered state of consciousness, so everything works according to different rules. And the normal rules, the rules of cause and effect aren't the, aren't necessarily the players. It's much, it's about something else. So arguably we could, we could get there through other means. Um, so, so anyway, so we have an ancestral tradition of our forefathers, our, our, um, ancestors experienced this as a collective. The limdum livnam and therefore they made an absolute priority to concretize and teach over 
these ideas generation by generation. Until we get to this day. Because Moshe Rabbeinu guided them in this practice by saying, Lest you forget the experience that you had and teach them to your children and to your children's children. So at that point when the Jewish people experienced the, um, the climax perhaps of the spiritual journey, it came together with a responsibility to make sure that it never, ever, ever, ever got forgotten. Because this is the crux. This is the hinge upon which our spiritual circle revolves. So, should we, should we, should we maybe segue into a meditation? And just practice transcendence in order for us to get a sense of what these different states could feel like. Are you ready for that? Mm-hmm. Are you ready for that, Stephen? Okay, so find yourselves in a comfortable position on your chair. What you want to do is you don't want to be too comfortable because then you'll just fall asleep and you'll lose the point of the meditation. So what I recommend is not leaning against the back of your chair or bench, but shifting over to the beginning, to the top of your, the edge of your seat. And we'll practice trying to, to go into a state which is beyond our cognitive realm. And we'll just do a few breathing exercises simply to ground us before we begin our journey. And as always with meditation, especially when we're meditating in an open space, there could easily be interruptions. It could be sounds and cars and people walking in. And whenever you're in a meditative state and there are distractions and there may be internal and there may be external, the way that we approach them is not to try to push them away or to um, try really hard not to make them there, but rather we embrace them and then just go back to our focus in a very calm fashion. So, okay, that's a noise. Back to your focus. Oh, that's a sound. Back to your focus. Oh, that's a worry I'm having. Back to your focus. And every time you go back to your focus, you, you're solidifying your meditative practice. So let's begin with some quick breaths, breathing in and out like this. all the air out of your lungs and starting to feel a little bit more grounded in this moment. Breathe in. And breathe out. And now as you let your breath go back to normal, I just want you to become aware of your clothes that you're wearing. shirt and your pants, socks and shoes, and just start to become aware of them as the outermost shell of who you are, 
there's something that you relate to and that's why you chose these particular clothes. They fit your body size. So they're individualized. But they're also manufactured. They're not truly yours, but you use them as yours. So really your clothes are there to serve you, express you. They're not you. The next layer that we wear are our bodies. We don't identify our hands as being us, but simply they are the things that we use as useful tools in life. Writing, steering, shaking hands and embracing, walking, moving, bending. Our body is an amazing vehicle for us to inhabit. So just to become aware of your body as a, a vehicle that you drive. And moving deeper into our emotional world, each emotion is really a, a tool, a piece of equipment to connect to a given situation. The emotion of sadness helps us to access the experience of loss. The emotion of joy gives us a way of expressing connection to a joyous occasion. And all the other emotions are perfectly designed to allow us to access the reality around us, just like our arms can help us to experience the world. Our emotions sink into the dimension of emotion in the world and allow us easy access. And now we're going to move into our thoughts. Our gigantic onboard computer. It also allows reality to be conceived through a analytic Analysis of cause and effect. In its powerful way, it is a capacity to derive, synthesize, compare, contrast, analyze. And that's a useful tool to have when navigating this world. Therefore, we are gifted with different tools to march around in our lives. We have the incredible power of rational thought, of emotional connection, physical engagement, and material resources that assist us in the expression of our deeper inner beings. And now for a moment, let's go back to that place of pure and diluted being. Not as it manifests itself in the vehicles of expression, but really back to its primal form, where it just is, beyond thought. Beyond feeling beyond action and beyond 
things. Just experience sense of being should feel expansive. Free. A oneness in the unity. Boundaries fall away. Barriers are let down. And everything just seems to make sense. start to become aware of the weight of your body against the chair, your breathing, sounds around you, temperature of the air, feet touching the ground, and then when you're ready, you can open up your eyes. that for you, Steve? It's great. I haven't done that in a while. Felt good. Any insight to transcendence? Um, what did it feel like? Did it feel like anything when you went far beyond your thoughts? Uh it just felt like utter, like it felt like peace, right? There's nothing, uh, it was only focused on relaxation and nothing else. Mm. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Great. Zizman, how does it feel for you? Yeah, it's not often you get to just sit and do nothing. And when you said like, uh, separating your like your emotions and feelings and just sort of, you know, just being, um, I think it's, yeah, not, people don't do it enough, really. Uh, for me, it was, you know, I felt very relaxing and, uh, yeah, I felt like a bit of stress between my shoulders. Mm. That's interesting. I'm very distracted. very distracted to get able to get there. Didn't give you the peace to I go for Ralph. It opens up a world of 
how impossible the task is. Mm. Felt really far away from you. Yeah. Mm. Well, too tired to measures. I actually still feel like something. I don't. I can't remember the last time. I don't know if I've ever even like done that. Just I like, close my eyes, mm. just breathing, mm. not thinking of anything. Mm. It's like very uh, powerful. Mm. I don't know about transcendence, but okay, something. Uh, mm. Definitely something in it. I think those times specifically, I was like too tired. Mm. So it was like drifting out and I didn't you know, just thought like thinking mm-hmm. about something else or like not even anything really just like mm. I couldn't catch myself it's also going to fall back I'll be done <laughs> so you're wrong <laughs> tired yeah very relaxed rule number one be aware of doing meditations on Sunday mornings <laughs> okay so I, I felt I felt uh a little bit transported. It's interesting how we make an association between a feeling of being beyond everything and calmness, relaxation. Because it's actually, you know, there's a, there's a few things going on in my life which are very stressful right now, and I felt almost as if, in the bigger picture, things are okay. In other words, my sense of transition was also one of the things that I'm so concerned about. Really, are are small things, and there's something higher that's there, and that was like really for me very liberating. It was almost a sense of connection to Hashem. I felt I felt as like a, a, a bolstering of my spiritual consciousness in the physical world. Physical world's all like, it's a very threatening thing. This, this is happening. And what about that? And there's this fear, and there's that scare, and there's it. And then I was like, just, well, that's on this level. But another, another level is all, it's all coherent. And it wasn't like, it wasn't an overwhelming feeling, but it was, it was a, a beginning of an inkling of a sense of, oh, it's all working together. And I'm wondering if that's a transition that we need to make is, and maybe that's what they experienced something, but obviously way, way beyond. At Sinai and Abraham, Avram, because Avram, he introduced monotheism, which meant that he got to a level where he saw all the diverse stuff happening in the world that I relate to as really coming from all different kinds of places. Like my financial issues are there, and my health worries are, are there, and my relationships are there, and um, the fact that the, the, the car needs a service is there. And it's like all these things, and all these things have got like their own source of distraction. And there's no coherence. No, this is actually one big symphony, and these are all the instruments playing the sounds that you need to hear. No, everything is diverse, and therefore I don't have the ongoing experience of a unit, unified experience. So unified, it's not synergized, it's not synchronized. But when I got into that place, it all kind of worked together. So I, I think that, that this was just a brief segue because instead of us, I felt like our, our, our discussion was becoming a little bit too ethereal. And it felt like it was losing its, 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 its meaning and its relevance. So I just wanted to try through that meditation and say, no, this is actually something which informs 
our experience, my experience of life. And that's exciting. He says a few more points, which I want to go on to, and then I really want to go on to the exciting transition, because he says that, that, that Hashem's reality is imperative, it can only, it has to be, and without it there would be nothing which we mentioned. It's absolutely independent of any other source. And that it's, it's, it's oneness. It's not complex. It's not many parts. It's just, it's oneness. It's, this energy is a, a one, a oneness of energy. And that's really what he, what he concludes with. Which he sums up in these six principles of defining Hashem. His reality, his completion, the necessity of his re- of his existence, his independence of anything else, his simplicity, and his unity, that there's nothing else but him. And now those are all big, big, big words, and they sound a little bit too big to be meaningful, but now we're going to get onto this point, which is, but they're not good enough for me to relate to Hashem. And there are all this, this liturgy and our prayer and Tehillim and the Gemaras, which seem to be able to orchestrate a relationship between Hashem. And I suppose the, the zenith of this relationship paradigm of Hashem is in the book of the Song of Songs, Shira Shirim, where the relationship between the Jewish people and Hashem is expressed in a love poem. And in that love poem, there's two, there's the love and the beloved. And this extremely explicit description of this deep emotive connection is one of a spiritual kind. But given until now our definition of Hashem, there's no, there's no meat to it. There's no, there's no emotion attached to it. It's like all in the cognitive realm. How could it lead to a loving relationship? You following me? So I think that's something which is um, um, a very interesting. How we're going to make the transition of how? But basically, how do we bring Hashem into the world of human experience? And as you can understand, that's that's a, that's a massive danger because if we bring Hashem into the world of human experiences, we we risk the we 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 run the risk of reducing him to just uh, a projected image of my issues as we discussed beforehand. So how do we avoid that? How do we have a real connection to this immensely infinite being and at the same time not reduce him to a projection of my fears and hopes? I've often thought about people sometimes in prayer, they're really just doing autotherapy. Like they're just speaking out to who they want to believe is listening here, all their issues. But is it, we want real, we want real, we want real connection, we want, we want it, we want it to be, we want, we want, we want proper, proper spiritual enlightenment, not psychological, you know, like Marx said that religion was the opiate of the masses. We, we don't want to be dragging ourselves with an illusion that will make us feel better about life just because spiritual spiritual comfort is a nice thing to to 
concoct in our mind. No, we, we want to go for what it is, pleasant, unpleasant, good or bad. Let's, let's engage in it. I think that's our question. That's our, that's our job. So we've got some time to digest today's experience and then we'll continue in the same place, same time tomorrow.